HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. This is Capri Cafaro, host of Eat Your Heartland Out. On our next episode, I'm joined by two fellow proud Midwest superfans who, like me, create Midwest-centric content. Meet Kim Lang, the Indiana woman behind the blog and podcast, More Than Corn. And I'll introduce you to Stacey Perry Mergenthal, creator of the Funeral Potatoes and Wool Mittens podcast, as well as the Random Sweets blog. That's next. Stacy, I am so excited to have a fellow Midwestern podcast host on this show. Um, I stumbled upon Funeral Potatoes and Wool Mittens um, just looking for podcasts that kind of shared my interests of Midwestern life and culture. And there you were. <laughs> and, now here you, and now here you are at Eat Your Heartland Out. So welcome. And here I am. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. <laughs> How does it feel? Uh, well, I can see why people get nervous. <laughs> really? You, that's funny because you would think that, you know, I mean, I guess it is a little bit different asking the questions and answering mm -hmm. them. But, you know, it's just one big conversation and, you know, you know the drill. So, I know. you know, easy stuff. And, you know, us Midwesterners, we love to talk, right? Especially about ourselves. We do. <laughs> That's right. Especially about the Midwest. And, um, you know, this is, uh, I, I'm joking in this episode that this is by Midwestern superfans for Midwestern superfans. And that is exactly what's going on here. Um, mm -hmm. So for folks who are not familiar with your podcast, Funeral Potatoes and Wool Mittens, mm -hmm. um, first off, it's a very unique title. So we're going to come up with it. Well, I have sort of spent some years in marketing and not that I love that, but I have. And so I know one thing is to keep things memorable. And so when I tried to think of what name I could use for my podcast, Funeral Potatoes 
I didn't grow up with funeral potatoes, but cheesy hash browns, party potatoes, hash brown casserole, it's all the same thing. And it's a big thing around the Midwest, as well as in the South and in Utah. But some of those places more often call it funeral potatoes. And I thought, well, that's pretty memorable because what I love is that what surrounds that meaning is community. Yeah. It's it's not about somebody dying. It's about people in your community being there for you and wrapping their arms around you. And a lot of times that love language is food. And we bring Absolutely. funeral potatoes <laughs> to comfort people, but also to church basement potlucks and family reunions. So yep. and then the wool mittens came because I'm I'm in Minnesota and it's cold here. And we're <laughs> a lot of us are Scandinavians and I'm a hockey mom, former hockey mom. So wool mittens have been a big part of my life. And they again are warm and cozy like the Midwest. I love it. So there's two things that are evocative of both cozy and community. And I think you're absolutely right. Those are two things that folks do associate with the Midwest oftentimes. And not only are, do you live in Minnesota, but you're a native of South Dakota, right? Yes. Yes. I grew up in South Dakota. I lived there until I was 17 years old. Then I moved to Minneapolis <laughs> when I was 17 and lived in that area for a while and went back to South Dakota at some point. And now I'm back in Minnesota. Unbelievable. And yeah, I know you still spend a good amount of time as well in, in South Dakota still, which mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about in a little bit, because I know you, you do all kinds of different things, which, <laughs> you know, brings me to this question. You'd mentioned, you know, that you spent a, a career in marketing. Um, so you've made a bit of a, you've made a bit of a leap from, you know, that kind of career to content creating, being a podcast mm -hmm. host and, and also having a blog called Random Suites. Um, that's how did that road come to be? You know, I think that road started when I was a little kid and I just didn't know it. Um, I always loved food. I loved writing. I would take construction paper and then make a booklet. I'd staple together, put white paper in there. I would write books, probably not really illustrate because I've never been an artist, but <laughs> I always loved to write and tell stories and, and, and food. And when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, um, but if we had Andy's mints around the house. <laughs> oh, my God. Andy's would, candies are the height of sophistication. I like know. The and we couldn't afford just a whole bunch of boxes to go through, right? So it was very treasured, and I would take more than I was supposed to, and I would hide them under my pillow or into my mattress. <laughs> and <laughs> So... And I just, I have a lot of memories of food and going to, like I said, on January 1st, we would have in, I think it was Toronto, South Dakota. It was my mom's side of the family would have a family reunion. And there were tables and tables, just epic amounts of potlucks and foods and all comfort foods. And my first job that I got was at a cafe in Brookings, South Dakota, Dakota Inn. I washed dishes till I was old enough to become a waitress. I've been to Brookings. Yeah, to the pheasant. Yeah, that's right. right? Mm -hmm. To the pheasant, that's right. Yep. And I don't know. So years went by. I was a waitress at another restaurant in Marshall, Minnesota for five years. And then I decided to go to college. And I was in college as a single mom with two little kids. And I was going for marketing and business. And then I went for communications and started working as a corporate communications manager in Brookings. And I did that for 13 years, 13 or 14 years I was there. Things changed during the pandemic. In between that time, though, my fun and my love where I put my creative outlet was I started a blog because even 
working as a corporate communications manager, if the personnel department would have a little get together, we'd have a food day. I would bake things. Um, I think one time I won like our little food award and people would talk to me more about food than they would about my job. If I would be at a board meeting, people would say, what are you baking today? Instead of how's work going? (laughs) Stories were just around food. And I started Random Sweets in order to be able to share those recipes. So if somebody would say, do you have that bar recipe, that cookie, that cheesecake, whatever, and I would just write it and put it on the blog so then they could easily access it. Yeah, it's like your own like little recipe box, but for everybody. Right, which is very helpful when you're in the grocery store and you're like, ah, oh, what do I need for that? And I can just pull up my own blog and and find what I need for my groceries. But so it kind of started as a side thing. And then same with writing. And in my um, graduate work at South Dakota State, I took a magazine writing class and fell in love with writing for magazines. So then I started doing that freelance. Um, a lot of them are up in the Minneapolis area, magazines up there, City Lifestyle and it all just kind of incorporated together and I loved the writing. And when the pandemic hit and I lost my job, I'm like, how can I do my writing and my baking? And I was looking for a podcast to listen to when I would go for walks. And I wanted it to be as if I was just sitting in a cafe or a coffee shop and was overhearing two or three ladies talking about some recipes that they brought to some thing. And and I thought, well, I can't find it. So I'm just going to make it myself. So that's what I did. <laughs> that kind of sounds like what I did too. It was like, you know, you, you're looking for something that you can relate to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you can't find it, you're just going to end up making it yourself. Right. And then when I came across your podcast, I thought, well, gosh, darn it. Luckily, I didn't find this before because I probably would have been like, well, this is what I'm looking for. <laughs> so I want to start it <laughs> my own. <laughs> But you know what, though? Here's the thing. Like, you know, I came across your podcast and I was like, oh, this is great because like we don't have all the answers. It's not, you know, we don't know. Right. You know, there's always something else. And and frankly, your part of the Midwest is different than my part of the Midwest. So, you know, mm-hmm. while I try to incorporate voices from all across, you know, the, the region, which is very large and very diverse, as you know, mm-hmm. I'm from, you know, industrial rust belt Midwest, not, you know, not upper prairie Midwest, um, which is, which is as I've, since I've been to Brookings and, and, you know, Aberdeen, South Dakota and some of these places in Minnesota, I've, I've, you know, have a greater appreciation of just how different um, literally, figuratively, culturally, you know, geographically parts of the Midwest are. Um, but you managed to capture so much of that so well. And, I, you know, Random Sweets, you know, I know you said it kind of like started a bit of like as kind of a recipe repository, but there's a <laughs> lot more here. You have stuff on on lifestyle, um, you know, mm-hmm. with different um, interests like, um, you know, upcycling and and books. And then, you know, and then of course you have the recipes, but then, you know, your blog is, you know, has a lot of different things on it too. Um, so how do you, fi- how do you decide what you're going to write about? Boy, I've never even really thought about that because there's so many things that are going through my mind at one given time. It's a matter of just what I get done, I guess. Um, the the recipes, it's what I have time to take pictures of, essentially. So yeah, all sure. the time goes by and I'm making food, but I don't have time or the daylight to take a good picture, so I'm not posting it. But every once in a while, I'm like, oh, this is a good recipe. I've made it a bunch of times. I want to share it. Or this is brand new and I want to share it. Um for the podcast, I mean, for both recipes and the podcast, I have a journal book and I have an app in my phone that oh yeah have 
just ideas for flavors that would go together, recipes like, hey, you make this bar, but try it with this and this instead next time. Um, I might be reading something online and and think, oh, these flavors would be really good. Or I might be in the grocery store and see some ice cream in the cooler and think, oh, what if I made cheesecake like that? <laughs> awesome. Um, or I might be reading an article or talking to somebody somewhere and they say, oh, my grandma, the way she frosts this cake, it's very particular. And then if she doesn't get it right, she smears it all back flat and redoes it because she wants it perfect. And I'm like, that's a great story. I want her on my podcast. <laughs> Right. No, that's, I mean, it's, it's a very, it sounds like it's a very organic process for you where you're mm -hmm. finding inspiration all around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have so many ideas written in those books that I could stop writing anything down and have enough content for years worth of both the blog and podcast. <laughs> and, and I can tell, I mean, I, I'm just, I, I have, you know, the, your blog up right now and I have to ask because like here's, so here's um, a, a meal recipe for roast chicken and vegetables with liquorthy sauce. What is liquorthy sauce? Oh my gosh. Well, you want, I mean, I'm not a person that clears my plate, but you want to lick it off your plate. <laughs> the right. sauce is so good and it's very chefy to me. And I did this art. I, I interviewed Chef Matthew for that for a magazine. And part of that was he teaches online classes. So I'm like, oh, awesome. I'm going to immerse myself in exactly what you do. So teach me an online class. So we did a one on one and it was amazing. And I was very nervous because he's a chef. He's a trained chef. <laughs> and he had the most delightful, doable chicken dish and it had Aju, and I thought, well, heavens, I'm not, I don't know how to make that. And it's just the sauce that you make from the juices. It was so simple and it's so delicious. I love it. Simple and delicious is definitely, you know, where like I try to head. And I feel like <laughs> so many folks do. I mean, you know, particularly in that Midwestern ethos, but even outside of that, you know, I, I always tried to you know, aim for things that are, you know, easy, affordable. They're, you know, they're not going to break mm -hmm. the bank. You're, they're not going to like, you know, break you by like having to be in the kitchen for like seven hours, you know, time. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and you, you know, ultimately it is about community and bringing people together. Um, and it's a way in which, you know, food captures, um, a family history and a community history as well. Um, you know, I, I, as I'm just like, you know, kind of again, scrolling through your, your blog <laughs> and, I, you know, we mentioned, and I think a lot of folks, uh, associate, uh, you know, Scandinavian and Nordic heritage and immigrant culture mm -hmm. with the upper Midwest, Minnesota and the Dakotas in particular. And I see something here for Nordic waffles from fair to food hall to freezers across the U S. Um, and so, <laughs> so what, tell me a little bit about this. Well, Nordic Waffles is a company out of Minneapolis or up in the Twin Cities area. And I started following them a few years ago on social media. I loved what they were doing, how they were just building this really beautiful, loving community. And I loved the story. Stina came to the United States from Norway as the Waffle Queen in Norway, came here to share her love of waffles the Nordic way. And after I started my podcast, I just thought, well, why, why wouldn't I want to share that with everybody else? Let's let her tell her totally. story and spread the waffle love. So, so what, what is, what is waffles the Nordic way? They are very thin. She describes them as crepe like, which I understand why she says that. I personally don't like crepes, but I love those waffles. So I try to not say that, but they're just, they're very, very thin. I think of it a little bit like our Norwegian lefse because it's oh, yeah. very thin and flat. And you can roll them or just fold it in half. And so in Norway, 
they eat waffles all the time. It's not a breakfast food. It's an afternoon with a friend, um, you know, to sit down and just have a cup of coffee. And anyway, so they're, they're a lot different than the big fat crispy waffles that we have here in the United States that we know. Right. They don't put maple syrup on them. They do a lot of um, like jams, jellies, fresh fruits, a little cream. The way Nordic Waffles is making theirs up in the cities and selling them their breakfast sandwiches. So you have oh, eggs and cheese and yeah, really good. So I, I got to ask, I mean, I don't, I think that, you know, we, obviously we just talked Nordic waffles, but then there's Nordic wear, uh, which folks know about, right? Nordic wear mm. is, mm. Um, you know, a, it's a brand, it's made in yep. America. It's yep. all this baking, you know, uh, utensils and, um, you know, dishes and and those sort of things, you know, famous for the bunt pan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do all kinds of different things. Uh, they're based in Minneapolis. Um, have you ever done anything on, on Nordic wear? Nope. They're on my list of places to call and ask if they would do an episode of the podcast with me. I have gone and shopped at their, they have a little store in their St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Oh, I've always um, wanted to go to yeah. their, their like factory yeah. store. Yep. It's not huge, so you don't feel overwhelmed, but you can definitely spend a good hour there looking at everything and buying a lot. And, <laughs> you know, of course I have some of their bunt pans and they always come out with new fun shapes and things like that. But that's a great Minnesota company, a fun story. Yep. How they created, invented the bunt pan and they have so many other things. Fun fact on that, they actually, I believe, have um, a display and an exhibit and an archive um, at the museum, of, the Smithsonian Museum of American History. Oh, um, nope. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, and I, I had an opportunity. Let's go. To, <laughs> yeah. I've not seen it. I, I, I interviewed somebody who was like a, a curator for the the food program at the mm-hmm. Smithsonian Museum of American History um, that actually had some upper Midwestern roots. And so she was mm. telling me about that aspect. So, you know, the fact that the bunt pan, which is such an iconic bunt cake is such an iconic, you know, shape. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't even know, like, I feel like when you think about the bunt cake, it's evocative of the sort of the mid 20th century kind of leave it the beaver, you know, type of, <laughs> of, uh, at least in my head, right. At least when the in moms my head. would wear a dress working in the kitchen. Yeah. Exactly. It's like you're wearing your dress and, uh, and pumps and like the perfectly frilly apron and as well. And it's perfectly necklace. clean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the kids are clean and you're clean and <laughs> the, the kitchen is, is spotless. Uh, yet you have like a 20 course meal. Yes, mm-hmm. that like that's where I feel like the bunt cake lives. But <laughs> it is an icon and it's from the Midwest, which is just yeah. absolutely amazing. Um, so, you know, what makes you want to um, share and create content that is specific to kind of the Midwestern lifestyle? Mm, probably just because it's what I know. Um, I, I have found that I've, I like a lot of Southern cooking and Southern food over the last few years. I absolutely, I actually subscribed to Taste of the South magazine. Oh they yeah. Southern comfort foods that remind me a lot of the Midwest, but the Midwest is what I know. And so I thought I need to kind of niche down right to to what I know but I I just I'm familiar with what people are doing or if they're talking about certain things their ingredients are what I know the seasonality of things and and what is available to us in the Midwest is what I know and 
I know I said earlier, we love to talk about ourselves, but truly in the, in, in the Midwest, people don't like to talk about themselves. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's really hard to get people to tell their stories because they think, oh, I don't have anything interesting to say. Nobody wants to listen to what I have, <laughs> right? But that isn't the case. And the first magazine article that I wrote for South Dakota Magazine was um, learning to make my grandma Janet Moe's white cookies that she brought to Christmas in a particular white plastic. Um, I think it was a cottage cheese or sour cream container because we oh, reuse yes. everything here in the Midwest. I was going to say, I mean, the, the, cool, the, cool, the cool of container, the yeah. coffee can, all of those things. Yeah. Still has her name and permanent marker. I have that container now. My grandma Janet passed away a couple years ago, but I loved capturing the story, learning how to make what she would always bring. I'm now the person in our family who makes those cookies and I love it. I'm the keeper of her recipe box, but I love telling her story and sharing it with others in the Midwest or people who love South Dakota, subscribe to that magazine. But also she carried a copy of that in her purse for a really long time oh. and shared with her friends, you know, a Bible study and things like that. And it just made me feel so good because she had stories to tell and People, when do people get to tell them and share, share? I, when I'm trying to do my things or if it's a recipe just of mine, to me, it feels boring. I'm not as energized as if I'm talking to somebody else about what they're doing or what they're sharing. Totally. I mean, you know, and I, I think that you bring up, I, I think, a really good point, and I can hear it just in the way that you're talking about this, um, is, is that you don't have to be famous or have mm -hmm. some sort of, you know, long list of, you know, accomplishments, however you want to define accomplishments or yeah. accolades. And, you know, in the world of like nine gazillion YouTube followers and, you know, <laughs> Instagram followers and all the rest of these things that have really shifted the metric on what it means to be in, important in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the bottom line is you don't need to be, you know, Instagram famous or TV famous <laughs> or anything else to have an interesting and compelling story. And I think that's that's what, you know, your sounds like what you're all about. And what really I think, you know, kind of the core of the Midwestern heart is about is that, you know, everyday stuff is very extraordinary and really mm -hmm. important. And celebrating that every day um, and, and getting it out there um, and, you know, kind of giving it the credit that it deserves, I, at, at least yeah. is, is part of my hope. Um, and, and it sounds like it's part of yours too, with, with your work. Right. Right. No. And that, when I started my podcast and I was reading all the things, right. Cause I'm self-taught with everything. So we just learn and take YouTube university essentially, but that, totally. you know, the advice is if you start a podcast, you need to have famous people or influential people or celebrities and all that kind of thing in order to grow your podcast. And I do understand that because they share with their audience, but that's not who I wanted to talk to. Right. It's not that I don't learn from some of my favorite chefs that are on the Food Network or something, but I've learned more and I connect more with the people who are doing daycare from their home and they have a young daughter who they're including in their kitchen, making supper at night. And you find out they're canning things with your grandma's canning jars and they have this huge recipe. But like, I learned just as much from them. And those are the things that I'll take back and actually do in my kitchen. And yeah. to me, that's just what I find the most interesting and what I love the most. So last week I did a Kelloland Living segment on TV using my mother-in-law's dill pickle pasta salad because I tried that salad for the first time last year. I love dill pickles, have made it a ton of times. I wanted to share that recipe with the world 
because it's new. And if, if somebody just trying to share how she wouldn't have a way to get right to share that with the world, I guess. Right, right. No, absolutely. You know, you, you are able to amplify voices in a, in a, in a unique way. And that is in one way, a very cool part of technology, the internet, social Mm -hmm. media, you know, the, you know, there's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but there is this sort of democratization (laughs) to it, right. Where, you know, regular people can go out there and, capture stories and share them and, you know, create this platform that they have, you know, that the time to do it and, and, you know, a, a couple kind of basic tools that, you know, in the 21st century we have, we have access to. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is just great. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about, um, your cooking segments. I, I know that you do, I mean, it is another oh. way in which you're communicating, like you said, sharing these stories to, to a different audience. Um, and if I don't, if I recall correctly, you do, I think it's like a monthly, uh, TV segment in mm-hmm. South Dakota. Is that right? Yep. Yep. There's uh Kelo land living is part of Kelo TV in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And it's a hour long program in the afternoon during the weekdays. And it's a living program, right? Just everyday living. So I do, uh, a, a, about a six minute segment once a month. They usually invite me once a month and, it's sometimes what I've chosen to bring seasonally. If it's, you know, Valentine's Day show something fun or Christmas, or sometimes it's what the hosts have come up with and said, Hey, we, we've seen this, um, you know, going viral on TikTok or something. And so let's try this yeah. on the air. So sometimes they're things that I'm bringing personally, or we're trying new on the air. And that really started quite a few years ago. I, I wrote, I did a project for the food network on foodnetwork.com and they have mm-hmm. this thing called States Plates where they talk about foods that are kind of define each state. So I was the person who got to do South Dakota. So I traveled around South Dakota, talked to people, found these iconic foods, wrote about that. And when KDLT, which is a NBC affiliate, they're on a different channel now, but a, a lady reached out to me from there and said, come on and talk about this. And that's kind of how the TV thing took off where I talked about those. And then we had so much fun. She kept inviting me back and, then when the channel switched, then I went to a different uh, station. That's awesome, though. And and let me, I mean, I do I do a monthly cooking segment for my local NBC affiliate. Mm-hmm. So I, I know how much work goes into this. And so listeners, <laughs> just listen up in the sense yeah. that it's really, really hard to smush, to smush a recipe, even the most basic <laughs> ones, into a five or six minute segment. The yeah. amount of time it takes for me to like figure out like, okay, I'm going to like pre-make X, Y, and Z. And like, you know, and then this, the other thing is that like, it could be a total, it looks like a total disaster on camera. So you got to think <laughs> about that too. Like if it's messy and doesn't look good, you also have to think about that. So mm-hmm. kudos to you because I know how tough that is. And, and, you know, you got to do everything yourself. It's not like there's like, you know, some sort of food styling assistant that comes in like the fairy godmother no. and like, you no. know, <laughs> you got, you got to do it all yourself. I just, I wish I had a hair and makeup person. I'm fine with the food. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, that's that is that is always, you know, um, it would be lovely to have a fairy godmother to come in and do that. Um, And but you know, I see some crossover as well in just what you were talking about with your Food Network writing and then the the cooking segments. I see um, as part of your podcast, one of your episodes is uh, try these twenty six iconic South Dakota foods, Mm -hmm. um, plus a few from neighboring states. Um, So we've been talking South Dakota. Uh, and people are not necessarily familiar with iconic South Dakota foods. So give us 
some examples because I'm sure people want to know. Well, I know that the South Dakota state dessert is Coogan, which is a dessert. And that, that is what? <laughs> Coogan? Yeah, right. It's, it's, uh, I think Coogan is the name, the German word for cake. And it has sort of a custard in it. And I don't know, I kind of think of it as a cross between sort of a cheesecake and a cake because of the texture oh, and everything in the custard. But that's the state dessert. Um, lefse is a big thing because we have a lot of Norwegians. So there's lefse. And that and would what's, be, and what's that for folks that don't know? Right, I I consider that to be the Norwegian tortilla, <laughs> because you're um, you have this dough and you're making these little balls and then you're putting it on a griddle. It's a specific lefse griddle. Turn it with a, a flipper and it's very flat. We roll them up. Um, some people will put cinnamon and sugar or just sugar and butter. But I've learned in the last couple of years because of a restaurant up in the Minneapolis area called Taste of Scandinavia, something that I didn't grow up with with Lefsa, but they use it for sandwiches. So again, it's oh, like wow. a tortilla. You're rolling up your meats and cheeses. I've had a breakfast burrito in it. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so Lefsa is a big thing. Indian fry bread. So uh, Indian tacos are a big thing. There's yep. a big arts festival in Bricking, South Dakota every year. And I remember Indian tacos, like the only place you could ever get Indian tacos was at that arts festival. And the line would be an hour or two long. And we'll stand in it because we want Indian tacos. It's a, a puffy fry bread. And then you put your taco meat and stuff on top and the toppings. Incredible. That sounds that sounds so, so tasty. Um, <laughs> and for, I mean, for folks that have not been to South Dakota, maybe, you know, they they will be motivated to do so. Um, because really, it's there are parts of the country that you know, we don't get to hear a whole lot about. And I think that is the value of what you're doing. Um, because, you know, with a podcast and with a blog, uh, you know, you're able to reach so many more people, um, even if, you know, the, the objective is to just kind of, you know, share what you know, and celebrate what you know, and, you know, share with your neighbors and sound, you know, have these conversations that you might have, you know, in your kitchen, but you're recording mm -hmm. them, right? Or at a, yeah. you know, at a, at a coffee shop <laughs> and you're recording them. People, I think, want authenticity. They want that relatability. Um, and, you know, just because folks aren't necessarily from the Midwest or the upper Midwest doesn't mean they're not interested in that. They don't want to hear, you know, stories from other humans, which, you know, I think is, is inherently interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Like I said, even with the South, with the South, I have come across a couple of podcasts um, from the South. Well, I'm not from there, but I still love to listen to them and and learn different things, even if they're not something that I adapt back into the kitchen. But I love to read. I'm a I love to read books, and I have a ton of cookbooks. And a lot of times, my reading material is a cookbook. I mean, I'll sit down with a cookbook, whereas somebody might sit down with a, a novel. But um, it's just the learning, and it's pretty light entertainment. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, you know, and, and speaking of entertainment, um, you know, can we actually hear a little bit of your podcast? Sure. I'd love to share a, just a little piece here. Let's move into some of my favorite part, which is talking about cooking, baking recipes. You had posted this, you, I think you guys run away to family reunion mm -hmm. and you had this Graham Strusel coffee cake. And I'm like, I need to know about that. So yes. let's, Tell me about, it must've been a handed down recipe. It, yes. So this is from my grandma, Vanita, which is on my dad's side. She calls it Graham Strusel. I call it coffee cake. 
It is. Oh, yeah. It is so delicious. If folks wanted to come and visit your region, you know, what would you want them to know? How would you, you know, what would you want them to come see in South Dakota or Minnesota? Wow, that's a loaded question. You could spend days. <laughs> I think, I mean, the biggest thing I would suggest is what I like to do when we travel, and go somewhere new, talk to the locals. Because there are places across the world that unless you live or, or from that area, you would never know they exist. You're not going to drive by it on the main street. It might be tucked back in some neighborhood close to a residential area that only the locals know. And I just think that asking people who live there, where where do you spend your time or what what kind of places would you recommend? Do you feel like your podcast and your your blog kind of serves as that um, kind of local to, to be a guide for folks that might want to come visit or learn about the region? I hope so. I mean, I've been doing my podcast for a year now, so it, it has, you know, 40 some 50 episodes. So not a ton yet, but over years, I would hope that as people are traveling, they can find some South Dakota ones or Midwest ones and listen to them as they're heading to different areas. Because because that's kind of what I'm doing too, is I'm learning about these new places and then want to get them on the podcast so that I can share because, because I just learned about it too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, I think what you're doing is just great. And I think that, you know, I certainly am learning and I'm in the Midwest and I know other folks are as well. Um, If people want to find you and, you know, read your blog, listen to your podcast, how can they do those things? Sure. So first I want to say, I love your podcast too. So I've been binge listening to that. Oh my (laughs) God. I can, I can see why your listeners are here. That's wonderful. I love it. Um, Thank you. So my podcast is Funeral Potatoes and Wool Mittens, and it's on most all major podcast platforms. And I put it on YouTube now. It's audio only, but it's also on YouTube, so you can listen. And my website is randomsweets.com. And you can pretty much get to everything from there, because even on my About Me or my work page, you can link to all the TV segments that I've done. There's a blog section. There's a podcast section. So um, and then on social media, most everything is at Random Suites. Easy enough. This has been a blast, Stacey. Thank you so very much for taking so much time out of your day and your busy schedule to share your journey um, with our listeners. And I certainly hope that our listeners also become yours uh, at the uh, Funeral Potatoes and Wool Mittens podcast. Thank you, Capri. I really appreciate that. It's been fun. I don't want to go to this episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. 
Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Kim Lang, thanks for joining the program. We're happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Well, you and I, I think, have a lot in common. We are absolutely big fans of um, our roots in the Midwest, uh, still living in the Midwest. Um, and you have put that um, that love of the Midwest to work with More Than Corn. So tell us a little bit about More Than Corn and, and how you started it. So More Than Corn is a podcast that I started a couple years ago, and um, it's really I, like you said, I think it's it it just it was born out of the fact that um I just I love being a Midwesterner and I'm pretty proud of my Midwestern roots and um and so I was I was driving home from both my kids go to college here in the Midwest and I was driving home um from West Lafayette, Indiana and uh, I thought I was listening to oh, I was either listening to something on the radio or I was listening to another podcast and um it was it was kind of dog and midwesterner saying that you know we're kind of backwards and and kind of rubes and what's what's wrong with the Midwest and I thought you know what I'm a little offended <laughs> so yeah I thought um I I really want to start a podcast about the Midwest. And I know there's a lot of other stuff out there and um, you know, it's really funny stuff, but I I I thought I really want something that's kind of a, a combination between our Midwestern humor, but also letting people know that there really is more than just cornfields and flat land um in the Midwest. You know, and, so much and more hence, than that. Hence the name, more than corn. Hence the name. It is such a perfect name because you're right. For for those uh, folks that are not from the Midwest, now I'm from Ohio, and and you're originally from Indiana, right? Correct. I grew up in Indiana. Yes. So you know, I I know when I went to college um, on the coasts in California that people literally were like, "Wait, Iowa, Ohio, Indiana." Idaho, I'm like, okay, Idaho has got nothing to do with anything, okay? <laughs> just just because it's got like vowels involved. Like, and and so, you know, people just really, if you're not familiar with the region, it really does have this external stereotype of what I always call corn and butter cows or meatloaf, you know, and corn dogs on a stick, whatever. And all of those things are true and they're fine and they're great, but it is about the more. And so tell us how you try to capture the more both in your podcast which I know you're not doing as much but also in your blog right so the way I try to catch the more is is I'll take something like that but I'll so for example um you know when you talk about state fairs and you talk about like our I mean you really have to understand that that 
you know, an ear of corn that has been dipped in butter and salted. It's like a religion. <laughs> and yes, and there's no like, there's no changing that in any of us. Like you look forward to that. That is a highlight of going to the fair. Um, and so it's just trying to capture more of who we are as a culture, um, you know, but also showing people that, that, Aside from fairs, you know, we have really good colleges here. We have really good museums and live performances and big cities and attractions and things to do. But it's also trying to capture that. But we also love that slower pace of life. We're just as happy going and doing something, you know, exciting and and going to a live performance or a concert or something as we are sitting on our couch with a cup of coffee curled up in a blanket watching a movie. Like we can do both and we love both. (laughs) So it's, it's like Hig in the heartland, right? That, that coziness, but at the same time, you know, there is that vibrance. Um, how do you find the type of things that you want to talk about? Um, do you do research? Is it from your own personal experience? It's kind of a combination of both. Um, I, I, so I'll see something, I'll see a news story, or I'll see something, you know, along the social media platforms that makes me think, oh, that that would be a really interesting topic to talk about. Like like recently, um, I've talked. Well, I I've talked about our survival, our winter survival skills. Because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think I saw like, that on your blog. Yeah, like, it's a thing, right? I mean, we haven't seen the sunshine in like almost two weeks around here. It's yep. it's hard. Um, but but uh, so I'll look at social media things, but um. And, and I'll I'll kind of I'll I will research things. Um, I kind of forget how I got on researching the beers, but when I started researching beer, and I think it started with um, I always like to find connections. So, for example, one of the things I want to do is here in Cincinnati we have uh, Finley Market in downtown, and it's this big, it's a it's a it's an amazing market. I mean, there's just everything there. You can get your getta, you can, you know, get your fresh meats. You can, I mean, it's just amazing. And then there's Findlay, Ohio, which is up close towards Toledo. And I thought, okay, I wonder if there's a connection between Findlay and Findlay. And there is a connection between Findlay. So I'll start with something like that. And then I'll start researching the history of it. So I think I wanted to know more about how it is, like what happened with Cincinnati's, um, beer brewing heritage, because it kind of fell away. But now we're really getting back to it. And so it started with Christian Moorline. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to dig more into Christian Moorline. And I did. And then I found out about this, you know, huge, well, what they called the German triangle of beer brewing, which was like Cincinnati, St. Louis because of Anheuser-Busch and then right. Milwaukee, Miss- Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Wisconsin because of Paps and Schlitz. And um, so so there I just started digging into it. And um, so that's kind of my process. And then I and then if if there is a personal story angle to it, you know, I'll, I'll pull that in from growing up in Indiana and a huge Midwestern German family. <laughs> So sure, sure. Yeah. And and I and I, you know, all these type of stories are both relatable but but educational too. I mean, frankly, you know, like I said, I'm from Ohio, but I'm from the other side of the state. And and I wasn't familiar necessarily with Cincinnati's brewing tradition. Certainly St. Louis and, and Milwaukee are, are a little bit better known, but you're right, there are a lot of um, you know, there's a, a 
rich German heritage in the Cincinnati region that I'm sure contributed to it no different than in Wisconsin, you know, and, and in St. Louis. Uh, you, you mentioned really cool things here. I, I want to go back to the Finley-Finley connection, Finley Market right. and Finley, Ohio, since you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that connection is, because I, I can't resist. I'm going to dig into it a little bit more. Don't quote me on all the details. But um, so Finley, Ohio is in Hancock County, Ohio, and Finley Market down here, there was a, a I think he was either a, a colonel, I think he was a colonel at the time, and he was from here in the Cincinnati area, and um, he actually um, established Fort Finley in Finley, and I believe mm. it was during, I want to say the War of 1812. Everything was the War of 1812. I'll buy that because okay. in Northwest Ohio, it's yeah. all about Commodore Perry. I mean, the the, the Turnpike rest office, you know, has a, there's a Commodore Perry up there, of course, at Put-in Bay. So let's go. Right. With this. I, I'm going to just go with the story okay. that it's related to the War of 1812 because it, it tracks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's War of 1812. So he established Fort Finley and it was it was mainly he was creating this um, like avenue for um, taking supplies up north for for the war of 1812. And so from there, it just like Finley, this little town of Finley um, flourished and, and was established. And then you go on through the 1800s and there was actually an oil boom there. And so, oh yes, that's where Marathon Oil is. Marathon Oil's world headquarters are in Finley, Ohio. Yes. Um, So yeah, it's just this kind of, and that's the other thing that as I go along this journey, I'm really enjoying discovering is like, we know about our Chicago's, we know about our twin cities, you know, we know about Cincinnati and Cleveland, but there are so many hidden gems throughout the Midwest um, that are fun to explore. And, you know, I mean, like I, I still have it on my list to like stop in at Wapakoneta because that's where Neil Armstrong is born. And you can see the, the side of the museum there from, from the interstate. And I just think that there are so many interesting places to explore and, um, and, and learn about throughout the Midwest. Like I, cause I just recently learned too, like there's a huge German, well, I mean, I think most people knew this, but I knew there was a German heritage here in Cincinnati, but um, I mean, through the Dakotas and, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin, there's a, it's a, just a lot of German and Scandinavian yeah. um, heritage. And I think that's where we get a lot of our identity as Midwesterners of hard workers with a, you know, with a strong worth, work ethic. And, um, you know, I think that's where we just get a lot of our personality. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, we, we have a very interesting immigrant story, an indigenous story. And then, you know, uh, there's a, a big Amish community. I know here in, in northeastern, northern and eastern Ohio, as well as parts of Indiana, you know, I'm aware of as well. And um, yeah, there's there is just a lot here. And, you know, what I've also noticed, and I, I'm curious to know if, if you've done any work on this, you know, we've we have what I kind of call sort of like the the old world immigrants and the new world immigrants, for lack of a better term. So you have, you know, the Scandinavian, the German, and then, you know, the kind of Eastern and Southern European that came at later, you know, turn of the 20th century. But then in the, the latter half of the 20th and into the 21st century, you know, you're seeing Asian, uh, you know, uh, immigrants coming from Southeast Asia after the Vietnam War. You're, you're having, um, you know, Syrian and, and Iraqi and Afghan refugees coming, you know, in the last 20 years, Somali refugees that settled in um, in Columbus. And, and so I'm curious to know, have you found or dug into any of these 
um, new immigrant populations and how they've started to inform our Midwestern uh, uh, identity. I haven't a whole lot, but I do know what you're saying because, um, like I learned, uh, the Milwaukee area has a, has kind of a, a, a large, rich Filipino community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, some of our very good friends are Filipino and, you know, they're, like you said, their families immigrated here. I haven't looked into it a whole lot other than I know that a lot of people choose to come to the Midwest and immigrate to the Midwest because, you know, we just have elbow room. We have a lot of space. And um, and I do think that they hear about how we are very welcoming in this area of the country. And so I feel like, um, I mean, I'm, that's just my opinion, but I mean, I feel like they do feel like, you know, this is a good place to, to you know, set up a new life and and um, pursue the opportunities that they want to. So, but no, I would love to dig into that more. I think it would be fascinating. Well, maybe I've planted a seed. I think I, so. I, I, you know, I love what you say about, um, you know, the fact that this is, we are such a welcoming, you know, culture here in, in the Midwest. And that is, that is one of the quote stereotypes that exist, right? Midwest nice. And you have a post actually about Midwest nice. What is it? So tell us what, how you've defined Midwest nice. Well, I mean, you know, the, the funny, the funny stereotypes of Midwest nice are that we always say, open and we're, we're constantly apologizing. To, I'm so sorry. You know, we're constantly apologizing to one another, but I do think that there's also, you know, Midwest nice is, is, you know, you, you see your neighbor and they're struggling to, um, you know, shovel their snow and you hop right over and you're like, no, 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 don't worry. I'll take care of it. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, it's kind of like (laughs) a competition of nice, you know, or like you send your kids out when it snows and you're like, no, you're going to go, you know, shovel Mrs. Smith's driveway because she's 85 years old and she needs to, you know, you just do it, right. Do those sorts of things. And I think, um, I think too, there, there are just people that are always ready to, I mean, whatever you need, you know, they'll give you the shirt off your back if that's what you need. If you're struggling and it's a hard time, you know, you can always count on somebody to be there for you. I will say though, that there is that passive aggressive side of Midwest (laughs) nice too, though. So, so, you know, like, like one of my, like, and I do it myself, you know, you're in the grocery store and somebody's got their cart in the middle of the aisle and you're thinking, okay, good Lord, like how long do you have to consider, you know, what kind of canned, I don't know, tomatoes you're going to buy or something. You're like, hey, can you get the card over? And then, <laughs> oh, you know, oh, oh, sorry. And you're like, oh, no, 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 you're fine. You don't really mean that they're fine. You're like, it was about time you got your card over. <laughs> <laughs> but you would never say that. Like, I mean, say- because never, ever say that. You keep no. that to yourself because that's rude and you're like okay absolutely it it is i i'm sure you've seen the the memes midwest i think it's midwest versus the world or midwest versus everybody yes yes and and there there was one recently that that said like overheard like a real conversation in the midwest it's like oh i'm sorry oh no you're fine oh you're good no worries (laughs) and it is it is true and i can't tell you how many times i say no worries and you're good or you're fine in a day. And the um, yeah, no, no, yeah. Like decoding right? yeah, no, no, yeah. Because <laughs> we all do that one too. We we definitely have our own subset culture of a number of things, including, um, you know, I, there's a lot of conversation around accents too. You know, I mean, the the Great Lakes accent oh. uh, is, a real, is a real thing. I'm a little bit further down from it, so I don't have the, the, the strong nasal A that, that some of my 
closer to, you know, Cleveland friends have because I'm a little bit further south, but um, it exists. And I'll tell you the, the, you know, if I spend more than two hours in Cleveland, it might, I'm dropping my A's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and so it's, it's these, again, these things are, are kind of funny, but they, but they do kind of make up, um, you know, a region that I think has kind of been defined by people from outside of it as uh, homogeneous and, and a bit, you know, um, bland, um, for lack of a better term. And, and it really just isn't. And it's great to find someone that, that shares that passion. Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. I'm I've I've I mean I just remember growing up and you know you remember well I mean I remember people saying about how you know boring Midwesterns are or like when when people from the Midwest travel to a big city you can point them out because they're not wearing black they're wearing blue jeans you know like oh, there's just yeah. all these things um, but I and and I know that. I know there are some people that would argue, you know, how diverse we really are um, and that we're not diverse enough. But but I think I, I just feel like if you look closer, you will actually find more diversity than you think. Um, and I and I and everybody I mean, I think, you know, by and large, we all get along here in the Midwest. You know, we try. I mean, you know, you've always got live wires, but what are you going to do? <laughs> Sure. I mean, that's, but that, you know what, that's, that's absolutely any place. Right. Now we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, some of your favorite, you know, things about being a Midwesterner, but this is also, you know, very much a show about food, yeah. uh, food and drink. We, you know, when we talked about a couple of things, but what about your favorite foods um, in the Midwest? What are some of the things that you just really love to celebrate um, as it, when it comes to food that you that you either were eating growing up or discovered kind of on your journey um you know getting to know the greater midwestern region better oh gosh um well i will say so so i love that your podcast kind of follows the journey of of how you know, people came to the Midwest and that sort of thing. And I will say on one side of my family, and I think this is very true, like, so I grew up in Indianapolis, um, but Southern Southern Ohio um, actually started with very kind of Southern roots. So mm-hmm. to be honest with you, growing up, a lot of the things that we ate had kind of a Southern influence because mm-hmm. some of our family came, well, I mean, my dad's side of the family came from um, Kentucky. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, we grew up on, you know, um, biscuits and gravy and yeah. <laughs> and some things like that. But then my mom's side of the family is very definitely German. And so, I mean, we had, you know, homemade bread. And my grandmother made this amazing, she always made this amazing German apple cake that we had at Ooh. every single family function. And I also have to throw out there that, my grandmother, whenever you went to her house, you had, she always had homemade applesauce because she had oh. apple trees in her backyard. I never had store-bought applesauce as a kid ever, 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 ever. Like I didn't even know what Mott's was because between my mom and my grandmother, there was always homemade applesauce that you could put cinnamon in if you wanted or not. Um, but then of course, yeah, you have like the pork tenderloin, which is just you know, I mean, that's that's a thing in Indiana. It's an icon of Indiana. It's an, it's an icon sure. of Indiana and uh, and Iowa. And yeah, and um, and of course, yeah. I mean, you know, 
corn on the cob. Like we we were actually, I kind of was going back in some of my archives and we had a whole discussion about how Midwestern, this is so goofy, how Midwesterners eat their corn on the cob. Like there's a whole discussion at the table. Hey, is your corn good? Yeah, my corn's pretty good. Is it sweet? Yeah, mine's pretty sweet. Or like, you know, oh no, this batch, this is, this is not that sweet. This is not that good. You know, like, oh, well, where did you get it this time? Oh, well, I got it at this farm market. Oh, well, you should have gone to this farm market. And oh yeah, you got to go to that farm market. So corn on the cob is just a huge thing um, throughout the summertime. And um, I think, you know, fruit pies and um, I don't know, I just, I, I, there was such a variety growing up. Um, and you brought up some really, I think, great points that really capture kind of the spirit of the Midwest, which is the fact that, you know, people in your family were growing things that they ate. Um, and you know, the fact that you just, you also mentioned the corn, like, okay, what, what farm stand did you get at, get it at? And I, I feel like the Midwest, you know, being referred to as the breadbasket of the world, um, you know, as, as we know, it's been referred to, uh, time and time again, we're almost the original kind of farm to table ethos, right? That people, you know, that's, that's become very trendy, um, you know, slow, the slow food movement, all of these things in the last decade plus have, have really taken hold in bigger cities are part of the, the Midwestern d- dynamic of daily living. It really was. I mean, for us, it was I'm growing up and, um, and actually I, I was kind of working on this for one podcast, but I mean, in the summer times, uh, we'd get in the car and where we would go to Mrs. Perkins farm and Mrs. Perkins had all the green beans that we, my, we spent our summers helping my mom can, you know, green beans and tomatoes and, um, peaches and apples. And we would always take a drive out to the country and we would get our green beans from Mrs. Perkins. And that's what you did in the summertime. You helped mom snap beans. Um, and, um, but I have to say, yeah, I have thought about, I was like, no, wait a minute. Why is this such a trendy thing right now? This was like the way I grew up. I mean, we always had, um, a big garden. And like I said, my, my grandmother, my mom always made homemade bread. I mean, there's nothing like a homemade loaf of bread that's warm with butter all over. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, and so, yeah, we did a lot of that growing up. It was just part of life and farm markets and festivals. And, you know, that was just, that was just what she did in the summertime. No, no question about it. Um, now I can't let you go without asking a couple more things about some of the work that you've done. Um, circling back a little bit to how you've made connections between certain things in your podcast and in your blog. And one of the things I remembered you uh, mentioning was some kind of connection between the, uh, the Midwest and Stranger Things, the show. Yeah. Yes. Well, so Stranger Things is is set in Indiana in the 80s. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So for the longest time, I I don't, I mean, it's just not really, overall, it's just not really a genre of something that I would watch. So I, I just yeah. kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And so finally, somebody said, you've got to watch Stranger Things. It's really, really good. I thought, okay, fine. I'll I'll sit down and I'll watch Stranger Things. And I started watching it and um, and something came up about it being set in Indiana. I was like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so then I started watching Stranger Things with a really critical eye to see how accurate it was to 1980s Indiana. So, I mean, they did a decent job. I um, 
I always laugh because Parks and Rec didn't get it right. And um, when they go get the Christmas tree and National Lampoon's um, Christmas vacation, they don't get it right either. Because I'm like, okay, yeah, we've got hills, but nothing quite that tall in in Southern Indiana or Illinois. I'm like, "Mm, those weren't really shot there. But um, Stranger Things actually did a decent job with, you know, banana seat bicycles and the Pepsi cans and um, the arcades and stuff. So I kind of, yeah, I, I only half watched it for the kind of sci-fi part of it. And I, I, the other half, I just watched to see if it was accurate to Indiana in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did this connect to the covered bridge festivals, um, in your area or um, out there? And I think Indiana. I I think it was just I was watching Stranger Things at the same time that I was researching the Covered Bridge Festival out in in Western Indiana or like, you know, the west side of um, Indianapolis there. So I don't know. I just put it together that it was going to be called Stranger Bridges. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a good hook. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very, very good hook. And I'm sure probably brought listeners to you and, and some folks to the blog as well, because, you know, it is, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's such a popular show. I mean, it's it's managed to put Metallica like back in, you know, Master of Puppets from 1986 back in, you know, the, the top of the charts. So, I mean, it's amazing the power of some of these shows and, you know, might as well bring them into the conversation too, which is, which is fun because you're right. And I totally forgot about this. It's been, I think I didn't watch, I watched some stranger things during like the height of the pandemic. Like I, so I, it's been a couple of years since I've actually seen any of those episodes. Um, totally forgot it was based in Indiana. So it's a good reminder that, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of popular things that are based uh, in the Midwest as well in popular culture. Just not field of dreams. Not just field that. It's not just field of dreams. There's a there's a bunch of other things too. Um, this has been such a fun conversation. If if and I'm sure our listeners want to know more. So if they want to find your uh, your blog or even your podcast archives, where can they find that? So the um, my website is morethancornpodcast.com. So the blog is up there, and um, I. I kind of, I took down my episodes, but I will put up my archived episodes. So I really do want to get back into um, recording them. I kind of hit a, a bit of a rough spot, but I would like to get back into it. So I will. Um, I don't have any archives up yet, but look for them soon. I will be putting them back up. We we will make sure. Be patient, folks. The more than corn archives will be coming up. Keep your eye peeled on that morethancornpodcast.com, right, website, Uh, and and enjoy all things Midwest. You know what? One more thing before I let you go, because the World Wide Web is worldwide, we're obviously not just reaching people in the Midwest. Have you gotten feedback from people outside of the region um, that have listened to your podcast or gone to your, your website and your blog and have had a reaction? I have, I have, um, I, I, there were people in Europe and Australia and some, a a few folks in Asia that, that I could see from the stats that were listening to the podcast. And then I would actually get a few comments back from some friends in the UK. I mean, you know, listeners in the UK. So, um, it was, yeah, it was kind of fun to get feedback on what they thought of, of the American heartland. (laughs) So I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know, more than corn has has gone all the way around the world. And it's great to see that it has a reach where, you know, people, regardless of where they're from, can can appreciate Midwestern culture. We're so, so happy that you could take the time again morethancornpodcast.com. So we just keep an eye peeled and ear peeled. Kim Lang, thanks for joining the program. Thank you so much. This was so fun. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. This episode was produced by me, Capri Cafaro. Our audio engineers are Liam Warner and Armin Spengen. Theme music by Jason Shaw. You can learn more about the show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org backslash Eat Your Heartland Out. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.